Well, good evening, everyone. And thank you very much, Alan, for opening the meeting there. Now, we're, gonna, we're going to look at Second Peter uh, tonight. It's a free choice, as you know. I've been reading First and Second Peter in the last few months. So we're going to turn um, to Second Peter, <coughs> chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 3 to 11 in Second Peter. Let's read God's word together. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, one of the key words that's come out there tonight, you might have uh, picked that up, is the idea to be diligent, to be diligent, to be earnest in something. We've seen that twice at the beginning and the end of our passage. You know, as we are in 2024, many of you might know, or some of you might know anyway, that it's the year of the Olympics. And in the summer, the Olympics will be held in Paris. And there'll probably be a lot of excitement amongst many. But at this present time, there will be tens of thousands of athletes who are being extremely diligent and zealous in the pursuit of excellence. Their idea that they're going to reach a goal, that they might be selected for the Olympic Games for their country there. And as we know, we, we don't have to be athletes to know this, of course. You will need to really be invested in your training and diligently pursue that. You will not drift into being selected for the Olympic Games. You'll really have to work at it and be up there with the best. But our diligence, uh, what we are asked for in the passage tonight, is not an athletic uh, diligence, which is just as well for the huge majority, if not every single one of us in this room, I'm sure. But we, as we'll see, are called to be diligent 
to strenuously exert ourselves, to make every effort in the pursuit of holiness. And that's what I've titled that, if you like a title for a message, The Pursuit of Holiness. You know, every believer, all of us, every believer here, and that's me assuming everyone's a believer, but if, if you're a believer, you are called to make every effort in that pursuit. And that's an ongoing effort, no matter what age we are at. Where we are, well, no matter where we are in the faith, from the youngest to the oldest, we are called to do that. And we're going to pursue, not athletic excellence, but holiness. That we might be more conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what Romans 8.29 says, isn't it? It's God's plan for us. It's his destiny for us. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So our destiny is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and we will be, we will be at a time when we will be glorified and we will see him and we will be like him, we'll be glorified. But in this present time, it's that time of sanctification. We're called to be increasingly holy and that's the call for each and every one of us. We need that. Um, yeah, the background to this letter, when Peter wrote first, when he wrote his first letter, he was writing about an external threat to the believers. They were under persecution. There was a lot of suffering because of the enemies without, um, bringing much trial and tribulation upon them. And Peter, that's predominantly what's addressed in First Peter. But when it comes to Second Peter, the the threat now is not the outside, what's coming from the outside. The threat is what's coming from the inside. False teachers, if your Bibles are open, I hope they're still open at Second Peter chapter 1. But if, you're, you, if you can look at verse chapter 2 there, you will see there will be false teachers, verse 1. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And one of the heresies was that really holiness doesn't matter. That was the idea, that holiness doesn't matter. And so Peter's equipping, uh, instructing the believers here, and we will be instructed tonight, we trust for our consideration of this letter, of the importance of being holy, the pursuit of holiness. Now, if you like an outline, and some do, some don't, but we're going to look in verses 3 to 4 about the supply that we have. Verses 3 to 4. This is the supply, what we already have. In verses 5 to 7, we're going to think about the supplements that we need to supplement your faith. We see that in verse 5, the supplements that we need. And as a result of that, verses 8 to 11 will bring before us the satisfaction then that we receive. Supply, supplements, satisfaction on that. In verse 1, thinking about the supply that we have, all that God has given for us, all that God has given for us. In verse 1, Peter has said that all have as faith of equal standing. Now, there was the great apostle, Peter. He had had some falls, undoubtedly. But at this stage in life, a great apostle. But he says, you have a faith of equal standing. And likewise, the same is true for us. And he states, for each and every believer... That what God has done, he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and 
godliness. So he's done something in the past when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, when we were regenerated. And what God has done, he has given us everything that we need to pursue holiness. Everything that we need. That's what the verse says. God has permanently bestowed on every believer by his divine power everything we need to pursue holiness. So in it, we're out with, I'm without excuse. You're without excuse. I've got a really good excuse why I'm not going to make the Olympics. And you've got a really good excuse, even if you're in your mid-twenties and at your athletic prime. You, 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 most of you, if you don't mind me saying so, uh, eliminated by genetics. You, you just are. We could train as much as we like. I could have, in my mid-twenties, just trained as much as I like. I wouldn't make the Olympics. Because all things weren't given to me genetically for that. But when it comes to pursuit of holiness, even though I'm past my mid-twenties, I have been given all things. And you equally have been given all things necessary for that. There's no need for any second blessing. There's no need for any higher experience to go for that. Peter's very clear, isn't he? That what God has done, he has given us all that we need for that. And how did that happen? How did that happen that we got given all things by God? A God who has saved us from a lost life and then given us everything that we need for holiness. How did that happen? Well, it happened as we read uh, in verse 3, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You know, our knowledge of Jesus Christ has brought us to faith in him. We were brought to his glory and his excellence. What has happened to us, each and every one of us, if we've trusted in Christ, we've been faced with the glory, the excellence, the virtue of Jesus Christ. And we have been drawn to him. We've trusted in him. We are trusting in him as our saviour. We are confessing him, yes, as our Lord as well. And Peter says it is that. He, we have been called to his glory and excellence. So we've come to faith. And through that, all things have been given to us. What do we have? Well, verse 4 says, He has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them, the promises, you may become partakers of the divine Nature. Now, I guess we could stop on this verse and we could think about the promises of God from now till next Sunday. Uh, but we haven't got the stamina for that, have we? And uh, there's a number of reasons we're not going to do that. But God, who cannot lie, who has all power, will fulfill all the promises that He has given to you and me. And that's really comforting, isn't it? That when I come to the scripture, when you come to the scriptures, and you read of a promise of God that, yes, is for us. Not every promise is for us. We understand that. But there are so many that are. And God will deliver, if you don't mind me using that language, on the promises that he has given. There's nothing that can thwart him. So I could promise you something in all good faith that I'll do tomorrow for you. But something might happen. It's outside of my control, and I cannot deliver that. It might be my memory, for one thing. I might just change my mind. But God will not. 
Well, let's look at, just think of some of the promises, the great promises that strengthen us and enable us to live victoriously in, the, in this life in which we are called to live now. Romans chapter 6 reminds us, you don't have to turn to these, you can if you like, but we're going to go through them quite quickly. Romans chapter 6 reminds us that we have been freed from sin's dominion. We were once slaves of sin, but we've been taken from that and we're now slaves of righteousness. We no longer need to obey that dominating principle in our lives. We're not under that anymore. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God tells us, that his grace is sufficient for us in every situation. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, what a blessing that is, isn't it? For any situation that you find yourself, for any circumstance that I find myself in, God has promised that he will give me and you the needed grace at the needed time. Now, sometimes we wonder how we're going to cope with tomorrow and the, and the months ahead God has promised the needed grace at the needed time. And sometimes when we worry so much, we're thinking about tomorrow where we need to deal with today. He's given us the power to obey his will. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can do that. The things that he has asked me to do, I can do that because he's given me that power. He's given you that power as well. He had promises us James 4 verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist and he will flee. God promises that. He also says that for every temptation in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 10, he will provide an escape that we might endure, not escape the temptation, but we might be able to endure it and not fall into sin with regard to that. Whatever comes... He says he will provide the way of escape. He promises that to all of us. 1 John 1, 9, very well-known verse, that we'll have forgiveness when we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. So no matter what it is we have done, when we genuinely come before him, we have an advocate with the Father, and we can know Jesus Christ the righteous. And because of him, our sin can be forgiven because of him, that parental forgiveness that we need. And a marvellous one, just to end it, that seven, this is the seventh one, I don't know if you're counting. Um, he promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, verse five. So just... I mean, we've gone through quite a few there quite very quickly. They're very well known. You'll know them all. But we tend to forget that, don't we? Or we tend, to, yes, we know them in our minds. But we need to have them reinforced in our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when these things come, when the temptation comes, when we have that guilt and we don't want to confess our sins, when we feel we've been forsaken, remember the promises of God. And by these great and precious promises that have been given to us, we, through believing them, appropriating them, can become partakers of the divine nature.
Now, that means, of course, not that we become as gods, like the Mormons would believe. It becomes we're sort of going to become ultimately more morally like the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect man indeed, partakers of that divine nature, because we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world. So what's interesting here is we, we rejoice in the supply that God has given to us. We, we bask in his goodness towards us. But we also realize then that we cannot claim that any of our sins or our failures are a result of God's lack of provision for us. He hasn't given you a lack of provision. He hasn't given me a lack of resource, a lack of supply. He's given, clearly here, all things necessary. There's not going to be a power failure in our lives as a result of God. So we are responsible, I am responsible, to live a life of holiness. And as is frequently said, and as we understand, we're not going to drift into holiness. No one drifts into holiness. You have to strive, be diligent, pursue it, make all effort to do that. You know, those athletes who are pursuing excellence in the athletic field, they are diligent in every area of life, every area of life. It's interesting, this 2024 Olympics is the 100th anniversary of the last Olympics in Paris, which was 1924. And of course, the great athlete Eric Little was there. And he knew what it was to pursue holiness in the spiritual world. He knew what it was to pursue excellence in the athletic world. And so he was diligent in both of those things. But if he was here, and of course he's not, he would tell us what's vastly more important, vastly more important, pursuing holiness. And so... That's the supply that we have. But let's move on to think of what we need to do ourselves then. What does God call us to do? He's the one who has justified us through faith, and he's the one who will glorify us. But when it comes to this present life, there's this ongoing sanctification that should take part in our lives, every believer's life. And so Paul says, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith so we are we have justification through faith alone in Jesus Christ and we're very clear on that we should be clear the bible's clear on that but when it becomes become more like our lord Jesus Christ we are to make every effort you and i you and i to make every effort to not be apathetic, to not be complacent, but to pursue it with all diligence that we can. A continual hard work on these qualities that we're going to look through. Seven of them add to your faith. And we'll just think quickly of these seven supplements, as it's called in my version. Supplement your faith. You know, we're complete in Christ. We are complete in Christ. We need to supplement that faith with certain things. So here we go. Number one, we have virtue as it's translated. Well, the idea is to have moral excellence. Moral excellence. We 
and the readers, uh, the original readers, uh, were, uh, both, were both surrounded by immoral actions and philosophies. The first century wasn't a whole lot different to the 21st century. And so there's immoral actions and philosophies all around us today in the world that you and I live in, in the country that we live in, the town you live in, the workplace you might be in, the, in the schools you go to, in the universities. And your call is to have moral excellence, to not go with the stream. You know, the dead fish goes down the stream, doesn't it? It just gets going. But we're called to go against the stream of the culture and to be morally upright, not succumb to the prevailing culture. And our conduct thus should be a demonstration of moral excellence, whatever that might look like, that virtues. Now, it is only possible, of course, for the regenerate person to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells them, but it is essential. And so we think of that. We, we, we don't go in, we don't speak in that same tones as the world around us might speak. We don't go in for all the things that are around in this world. Now, you might be, as a result of that, be called judgmental. It's not that you are, but your very actions are seen to be absolutely different. And the things you won't do, call the things you and I won't do, are called to, to, to stand apart. That's moral excellence. That's virtue in all areas. Well, if we are going to do that, then we'll need that second supplement, which is knowledge. Because if we want to be morally excellent, then we'll need to know what does that look like? What does moral excellence look like? Well, one of the ways is to have knowledge. You know, God doesn't want his people to be ignorant. But to increase in knowledge, that will be manifested in wise living. It's possible, isn't it, for us to fill our heads with knowledge of the scriptures, but to have little impact on how we live. That's possible. And so the idea of knowledge is to have that impact then, how it impacts your living in all areas of life, in the home. My knowledge of what God's revealed will is will impact how I live in the home. In the assembly, of course, in the community around, in the workplace, in the university. Without knowledge, you and I are susceptible to be shaken into areas of wrong living. Well, firstly, wrong thinking, wrong thinking. And then as a result of that, if we think wrongly, we'll act wrongly. Not aligned with God's will. So we need knowledge. Then add to your knowledge, he says, self-control. Self-control is a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Again, the athlete, obviously, we know, lives self-controlled, self-disciplined life. And that's our call, isn't it? To be masters of our bodies and our minds. Not to be allowing them to take control of us to control our passions and our lusts in all areas. You think, well, how do I do that? Well, start in, be in small matters, because what we do in small matters graduates to bigger areas as well. It really does. Self-controlled, disciplined living 
in all areas of life. And the fact of getting up when the alarm clock goes to what I eat, what I drink, in the small areas. Let that then impact the bigger areas as well. Paul writes to the believers in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 9, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth, but we an imperishable. That's all consuming there, isn't it? The every athlete does it in all things. What? Self-control. So don't be swept along by passions and lust that come from within, but be in control of them. Be a master over them. So we're not going to look at things we shouldn't look at. We're able to control ourselves with regard to these things. And self-control is built up when we do it in small things. You think, oh, some of those things don't matter what you're said about. Well, that might be so. But when we, uh, we're either self-controlled or not self-controlled. You can't be self-controlled in one area of life and not so in another. Self-control is a fruit, a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Disciplined living. The Proverbs tell us You'll remember this one. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Proverbs 25. 20. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? You think of a city in, in the olden times and it had a wall around it to keep it safe, to prevent attack. That's the idea, isn't it? That the enemy couldn't come in and attack. Very safe. Well, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If the city's got no walls, then anyone can come in and plunder what they want and do what they want into that city. And the proverb says, well, that's just like you and I if we don't have self-control. We're open ourselves to all sorts of attack because we cannot control ourselves and will succumb to that. Well, what we then need to add to our self-control is perseverance perseverance to keep on going it's always i always you know people uh, you, you you sort of go to conferences meeting and people say oh it's good to see so many young folk here today well like, that's true it is it is of course it is of course it is no, no one would dispute that but it's really good as well to see many people who have been on the road for decades and are still faithful endurance they've persevered they've kept on going because you well I can and there's people here older than me tonight who can think of those who haven't persevered have fallen by the wayside and so perseverance to keep on going the athletic theme comes out again in scripture in Hebrews let us run with endurance the race that is set before us so there is a race there is a course that God has set for each and every one of us. Yes, we all have the same destiny. Our race might look slightly different. The destiny is the same. The course might be slightly different for all of us. Rough, smooth, long, short. I don't know. But we're all called to run it with endurance. You know, the long distance runner, we, we don't need to long, run long distances to understand this. We'll, we'll find it difficult at times. And there'll be the great temptation to give up. Because the minute you step off the track, 
it gets easy. There's no pain anymore. But Paul says no. Scripture says no. The Lord says no. Keep on going. You need to develop perseverance, endurance in the Christian life. You know, in First Peter, Paul had written, uh, Peter had written, pardon me, to believers who were suffering a lot. And he urged them to endure. And who did he point to in, in that? Who's the great example of endurance? Well, it was the Lord Jesus Christ who persevered under great suffering. And he says, look to Christ and persevere. And so we, we draw from that. When we think about enduring in the Christian life, of keeping on going when times get tough, and many of us don't know the toughness and the difficulties that believers face in other parts of the world that these believers would have faced in the first century. We don't know that. But we do know difficulties. You'll know trials. You'll know temptations to give up, to step off the track, as it were. That will come to you, comes to me in various ways. But if we have self-control, that will show itself in the endurance. We'll keep on going. Because our body, if you like, our minds, our flesh will say, give up. Go in for something more sinful. That'll bring you more pleasure. But if we've developed self-control, then perseverance goes along with that. Fifth quality, he says, is Godliness. On top of persevere, if we're going to persevere, then what we need is this godliness. Well, what's godliness? What does that mean exactly? Well, the idea I take it is this. It's the idea of being fully conscious of God's presence in every situation in life and committing everything to him in every area of life. It's living, um, there's a phrase called korem dio, in the presence of God. And that's that experiential knowledge that you and I are in the presence of God at all times. And we are. And our decisions, my decisions, your decisions, both big and small, are made in that knowledge that God is always present, even when no one else is. And if we live in the good of that knowledge, in the presence of God, then that will truly impact so much, won't it, in my life? It'll impact what you look at. It'll impact what I look at, what I watch, when no one's there. Impact how I speak as well. Because his presence is with me. Now that's earlier, we thought about that as a great promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a great promise. But godliness means we imbibe that, we appropriate that. And so God is in every situation in my life and I submit to his will in every situation in this pursuit of holiness. And as a result of that, there's brotherly kindness or brotherly affection. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ said, if by this will, will, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So there should be in the assembly of God's people. Now, brotherly affection refers firstly to those in the family, the family of God. 
And the family of God in microcosm, if we like, is in the assembly of God's people. So let's bring it home practical. It's here, isn't it? Well, it's not here in this place, but it's the people who are here, isn't it? This is, this is, the, this is where brotherly affection, if it's not being shown here amongst ourselves, then that's truly lacking, isn't it? And sure, there should be this ongoing pursuit of truly loving fellow believers and a love that transcends natural affinity, a, a love that transcends age and, and background amongst, let's say, the people of God here. That no matter our age, no matter our natural personalities and things like that, we show love. And love is first displayed in having an interest, isn't it? I'd suggest having an interest in others. Now, once we do that, we have that brotherly kindness, we have that love, then, then the final quality, the seventh one, is love, this agape love, a love that is divine. And so in the pursuit of holiness, we add love. That seems out of reach, doesn't it? The perfection of this love seems out of reach for us, doesn't it? Because the love of God and the love of God, he demonstrated his love towards us in this, that why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. We think, well, I seem so far short of that sacrificial, selfless love attitude, even for myself. But friends, you know, it's not the perfection of our lives we should be so concerned with, but it's the direction the direction am i pursuing these qualities am i pursuing these seven supplements for in my life i'm not going to drift into it you're not going to drift into it i need to be reminded of that i think you know we all need to be reminded of that but like the athlete pursues athletic excellence the believer is to pursue strenuously spiritual holiness in that and and we we have the reward we have the satisfaction that we will receive verses 8 to 11 and and peter peter brings that as a great encouragement and he brings it as an encouragement to you and i tonight if these are yours and increasing then i've got four benefits you could probably work it to more than that if you wanted to but i've put four down um why should we pursue and increase in holiness? Well, he says this. Firstly, you'll have a vibrant and effective faith. You will neither be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea, of course, with these qualities is we cultivate them all. You know, I, I remember hearing this passage preached on once and I was probably mistaken what I thought the preacher was saying. It seemed to be once you perfected one, you moved on to the next one and then to the next one. Well, if that was the case, I'd still be on number one, you know, and probably so would you, if you don't mind me saying so. No, the idea is we cultivate them all. We cultivate them all. And we watch them grow and develop. And then we, in the service of God, in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will not be barren or unfruitful. The Holy Spirit will so work in our lives. We won't be ineffective. You know, a lot of people speak about how to be effective these days in different matters. Well, effective for the Lord is to cultivate holiness in our lives. 
That's real effectiveness and not be barren. Number two benefit. We, we wouldn't forget that we've been forgiven for our sin. For whoever lacks these qualities, so we're seeing the positive, these are yours, you would not be ineffective or unfruitful. Well, the negative, number two, as I've put it, is you, 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 if you lack these qualities, you're like you're almost blind, you've forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You know, and this is to do with assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. One of the reasons, one of the reasons, not all, not every time, but why, why people um, lack assurance that they're truly saved is because of a lack of holiness, a lack of seeking to pursue these things. That's what Peter's saying here. That's what he's saying. If you're not doing that, if you're not engaged in this pursuit, then you don't have the evidence within you to see God working. And so the reason, or a reason, pardon me, a reason that some people lack assurance is because there is no striving for holiness. There is disobedience. They're not thinking or acting much different from the world around. So if that's the case, then why would you think that you're regenerate? And so Peter says, pursue these things and you will be remembering that you have been cleansed from your former sins. If you do not, and he's speaking to believers, if you do not pursue these things, you will forget that you won't see the evidence in your life that you have been cleansed from your former sins. It's very interesting when we think about assurance of salvation, the Bible never ever tells us to look back to an event in the past where we might have prayed a prayer or something like that. It never says that. What it does tell us to do is to look to our present trust. Whom are we trusting now? And what's the evidence of that in our lives? First John's a whole book about that. And so... Pursue holiness, gain greater assurance of salvation. And on that same theme, the third one then is that we will have a present assurance because we'll make our calling and election sure. If we're diligent, we can make our calling and election sure. We can confirm it uh, as it has in some translations. And you think, well, who are we going to confirm it to? Who, who are we going to uh, make it sure to? Well, it's certainly not God, is it? Because he's sure of that anyway. God knows whether you have been elected and called. But sure to you. This is what he's speaking about, to be sure to you. Confirm it to yourself through the pursuit of these qualities. You know, the word election, of course, refers to his sovereign, eternal choice of individuals before the foundation of this world. And he did that. He chose us, Ephesians 1, verse 4 to 5. He chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the foundation of this world. And that was God's sovereign election of believers. And then in time, of course, he calls us 
to himself. And that's the effectual internal call within a person's life. You know, so we read Romans 8, 29, verse 30. Well, I can read just verse 30 to you. you. You know it very well. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. So the text is very clear, isn't it? That God did predestine people. And those people, those individuals he predestined, he called them. He called them in time. That internal, effectual call. And how do I know that's the internal effectual call? Well, I know that, and you can know that, because every single one of those he justified. So what do we know? They responded in faith. They responded in faith. So this refers not to that external call. This is the great external call of the gospel that goes out and should go out and must go out, a genuine offer of salvation. But we know that it is the very call of God inside a person, that divine summons, and only that, that enables them to respond in faith. And to those who do, he justifies them. So, and it's very interesting, if you look at this, Peter says, you can confirm your calling and election. Well, as we're then thought, it's quite clear, isn't it? But in time, although it's not really in time, Election before, occurs before calling, doesn't it? You were chosen, you were electing Christ before the foundation of this world, and then in time you were called. That's, of course, election was before time even began, but if you don't mind me using that phrase. But this is how it occurs for us, isn't it? This is how it occurred for you. You felt the call of God in your life. God did call you, and you responded in faith in Jesus Christ. And so the order here is how we, as believers, have experienced that and came to that. And then we understood that we had been chosen in Christ before the foundation of these worlds. And Paul says, if you pursue holiness, you can confirm that calling election to yourself. You'll know you're a child of God. Because this is the, you're seeing the work of God, the desire to be Christ-like in your life. And that's great assurance of salvation. So these are present blessings. But then, number four, the satisfaction that we have, verse 11, is we'll be, what will be richly provided for us if we pursue these things. Here's the promise. Here's a promise. An entrance, an abundant entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, Peter here refers, I won't be uh, very clear on this, he's referring to the manner of your entrance, not the basis, the basis of our entrance is faith in Jesus Christ. But for the, the pursuit of this, the pursuit of holiness, and then being as a result uh, effective and fruitful in the work of the Lord, it is held out there as what you can know is this, that there will be an abundant entrance for those who do that into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You know, we thought a few months back, didn't we, the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. You remember it when Stephen was here uh, back in October. And he brought before us many aspects of that. But 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, 
we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's very clear, isn't it, that some will have a more abundant entrance than others. There will be degrees of reward. Scripture's clear on that. You know, everyone who's placed faith in Christ will be there, but there will be degrees of reward. We see that. And so there are four aspects of what we will receive, the satisfaction that we can have, that you and I can have if we pursue holiness. We have everything we need. I have everything I need to pursue holiness. God has provided all things for his people. We're called to be diligent in the pursuit of this, friends, to really strive for it. And there is immense present and future blessing promised to all who do pursue holiness. May God bless his word to us. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks indeed for your word. And your word is profitable for doctrine, for rebuke, for correction and training in righteousness. And we pray that you would speak through your word to all of us today. That we'll not just understand it intellectually, but we'll act on it. And by your grace, as we thought of the subject before us tonight, we will earnestly make every effort in the pursuit of holiness in our lives. Help us to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Uh, let's close our meeting this evening uh, with 682. 682.